Over the past 20 years or so, public awareness and acceptance of ill mental health has grown enormously. There's vastly improved knowledge of its prevalence and treatment, but there's still much improvement needed. In the context of the pandemic and other global crises, there's a secondary contagion of mental ill health that to varying degrees affects us all. Of course, we're all in this together and together we have to find our way through it. The key is to be proactive and to focus on preventing serious mental ill health. In part one of this two-part series, we'll focus on being able to recognise mental health concerns in others and then how to intervene to help. We'll cover how to conduct what I call a helping conversation, which includes options for referral, confidentiality issues and self-care. In part two, we'll explore a couple of practical ideas for managing people with mental health issues at work. But first, what is mental health? Well, according to the World Health Organization, mental health is a state of well-being in which every individual realises his or her own potential, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to her or his community. Well, clearly, this defines mental health as not only about ill health, but includes thriving as well as mild to moderate ill health and, of course, severe mental health illness. How prevalent is poor mental health? Well, the global rates have been pretty steady. Around one in seven people globally have one or more mental health or substance use disorders each year. So mental health at some time in life is pretty normal, with about half of us experiencing it. Most common are the anxiety disorders, but major depression is thought to be the second leading cause of disability worldwide. Despite our advances, still nearly two thirds of people with a mental health disorder never seek help from a health professional. Overall, there are three main interacting causes of poor mental health, genetics and personality, life history and, and psychosocial factors, the latter being the physical and social environments that impact on our mental health. And obviously, the global pandemic and other crises are very significant and pervasive psychosocial factors that impact us all. Now, given we can't change genetics nor the past, our emphasis should be on increasing personal resilience and coping strategies, as well as addressing psychosocial risk factors by promoting positive cultures and environments for good mental health and by helping others who are struggling. And one more thing, it's also important to remember that mental health is complex. The fact that someone doesn't have a diagnosed mental health condition doesn't necessarily mean their mental health is positive. And likewise, it's common that people with diagnoses that are well-treated can have high levels of well-being. This uncoupling of diagnoses from good or bad health helps us keep our eye on the ball. If a person's suffering, they warrant our help. So in terms of suffering, what are we on the lookout for? Well, the key is to notice negative changes in a person 
across a range of observable factors. This might include a drop in work performance or withdrawal, a decline in cognitive functions like memory, problem solving or concentration and so on. They may of course be obviously upset or just not themselves. The key thing is that if you have made these observations and have a feeling that something's wrong, you should probably talk with them about it. You should conduct what I call a helping conversation. Well, why? Well, we know that being able to talk about one's stresses or struggles with someone who genuinely cares and who's not judgmental is incredibly helpful for them. Both kindness and compassion reduce their body stress, their inflammation, their heart rate and blood pressure and opens their mind to more positive coping strategies. So, having the conversation is the single most important thing to do. You are not diagnosing, you're not counselling, but you are telling a person you're concerned and want to help. And you base it on observables, which keeps bringing things back to tangible realities. You're not doing therapy, but are primarily listening. And one of the best ways to listen in this way is to use a technique called AWES, where you ask open questions and then shut up. And whatever they say, you affirm that this is their reality, their perception, experience or their understanding. We primarily do this affirming by reflecting and paraphrasing what they've said to us without judgment or challenge. And when they seem to have told us the most important things, we summarise so they experience being understood. Why is this so effective? Well, when you get that right, there's then a natural move in both people at this point towards action, towards problem solving. The most common error, however, is trying to move here too fast before people have had this very validating experience of articulating their reality and having it understood. Now, once that's in place, the conversation becomes much more natural and two-way and you begin to discuss together action steps. The key here is to mobilise the person towards getting help, whether that's counselling, a general practitioner, a financial advisor, a personal trainer, or even having conversations about adjustments to their work for a period of time. It's also rarely a single conversation. Often people are not ready to talk straight away. It takes them by surprise when you approach them and they say that they're fine, even if they're not. So don't try to kick in their doors, so to speak, but do persistently tap on the window. Touch base again if you're still concerned. If you have spoken to them, follow up. Sometimes, especially down the more severe end of the mental health continuum, helping someone can be taxing on us. It's always a great idea to debrief with someone, of course, protecting confidentiality. And speaking of which, never promise absolute confidentiality. If they ask you to tell no one, let them know you agree, except if they're at risk to themselves or to others.
and then let them know you'll always consult with them about who you talk to and about what. If you follow these steps, be assured you've done the very best thing that can be done for someone suffering from mental ill health. It's not magic, but it's the most effective thing for preventing worsening mental illness. As they say, a stitch in time saves nine.